Hello, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters. For this week, the week ending Friday the 28th of October, we, Daniel, Mon and Bobby, are on Triple R every weekday morning from 6 to 9am, broadcast live from Melbourne, Australia. This week on the podcast, we discuss our various pronunciation problems and what words we get wrong, and Kitty Flanagan visited to talk about Season 2 of Fisk. Besha Waddell transports us around the world through food. I was judged at a supermarket and Fet Square turned 20 this week. Our Friday funny bugger Emma Holland goes all in for Halloween and we interrogate some old family catchphrases. Melbourne's own Triple R. I went to the servo a, a couple of weeks ago and the woman that was serving me, as I left, she said, thanks, have a nice day. And I went to say, thanks, see ya. And I said, see ya. And we locked eyes. And then I quickly walked out of there and I, I can't go back there. How embarrassing. Thea. Combining the words. <laughs> Did she have a list when you were mocking her? No, not at she all. Go back. Not at all. And there was nothing. She just, yeah, anyway. So I, I like it. Why can't that stick? Thea. Thanks yeah, we, and see ya. Yeah, we, we smush everything else together. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's just like the new. You invented a, what is it, a compound word or yeah. a oh, yes. or Last Kate Burridge about yeah. it. We will. <laughs> we'll have to bring her in. Um, the you know how I told you about the uh, cafe that opened across the road for me. It's got the did free coffees. The did free coffees. Uh, the name of it, it. It's this is part of the name, but the name is Espresso. Oh no no no! Why they do that? I don't know because it it's a... Express Espresso. But no one. But they... <laughs> that's why you are so this cafe. So you're, you're like, oh, uh, it's like when you know someone says Espresso Martini because they got it wrong. Yeah, mm. but they've actually they're so clever. Oh, oh, they're owning, express. They're yeah. owning the mistake. Yeah, they're doubling back on the mistake and actually it's a very self-aware name. Right. I was you don't mine. know this place. <laughs> can we just – can we just – I have to go in there and time how long it takes to get my coffee. And yeah. if it's fast, I'll give it I to mean, you. I mean, it was free to begin with, well, so that's true. pretty good. You know what? They're still doing some of the free tasting, so. Are they? Oh, maybe mm. times are tough. Yeah. But if anyway. times are tough, maybe it's because you're not charging for your coffee. Mm. <laughs> well, people get married to the anchor price, don't they? So the first time you experience something, it's like our newspapers found it difficult to charge when they gave all their content away for free. Mm. Yeah. You give something, someone, you give it away for free and people expect it and that's the anchor. Yeah, now. So I think maybe they're creating a, a, yeah. a an economical rod for their own back. That's true. They haven't opened a cafe, but they've opened up one of those um, revived driver pit stops <laughs> when you're driving on the country road and you get some free instant. <laughs> uh, speaking of coffees, another word that I... If I stop and think about it, I can say it properly, but I can't when I just say it fast. Mm. Um, frothing. Frothing milk. <laughs> you say frothing. I say throffing. Oh, oh, <laughs> you say throffing. Like, I say throffing. But... Throffing. All the time. Ah, oh, that sucks. We've, it does. It really <laughs> does. And we have a coffee machine at home and then everyone's like, you want a coffee? I just, yes, please. And she's like, what do you want to is? I... <laughs> So I can't talk. That's a new thing. (laughs) (laughs) Throffy milk, please. Why don't you say steamed? Steamed. That's what you're doing. You steam the milk. Oh yes. You don't want to froth it too much. It's a bad coffee. Yeah. Well, this one isn't a fancy one. It's just a throffer. So it's a. It's that was a, you didn't say that intentionally. I, I did. No, I'm going to say that I did because I. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop saying it. But it's, yeah. you steam it. It's, it's a milk. It's a. Oh, it. I know, but this one's just. Is it, is it getting steamed, is it? Like, like I feel it like a steamer. No, stick... it's not. This is one it's you just, just like push a... a button. Oh, okay. Mm. So that is just called a frother. 
there we go. It's yeah, it's good to talk about words you can't pronounce on it. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, triathlon. I mean, I always say triathlon, but have you heard people say triathlon? <laughs> triathlon. Yes. Yes, triathlon. People say what, that. What? Throw an A in there. Just chucking in an A. Yeah, just to like, um, you know how in that movie, The King's Speech, where he can't say, he can't start a sentence with peoples. So he says, they teach him to say up before it to get to the consonant. Oh, yeah. So maybe pe- people do that because the, you know, smooshing together, I got to get a better word than smooshing. <laughs> THL is too much, so they've got to throw an A in the middle. Oh, so that's on. what's happening with. But an I have a no in, idea. I an, say it correctly. An A in triathlon must be the way. End of the spectrum of who cares? Oh, like who's correcting them? Yeah, like oh, there yeah, are totally. some things you just Bobby let slide, <laughs> don't you? No, Every I don't day. correct anyone. I mean, um, if someone said triathlon, that's that's a that's way minor in there. Well, actually, yeah, mm. I think it's different to just a mispronunciation. I'm always happy to be corrected. I'd much rather be have a moment of embarrassment where I'm corrected and then say the right thing thereafter mm. than to just go on saying something dumb. And everyone thinking they're being polite. It's like if you've got something in your teeth. Oh, well, and then you just have it in all day. You'd rather yeah. someone tell you. I've been corrected by a barista um, who listens to the show. Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> About some pronunciations. That, it was well, that one I like of them? that. <laughs> it's pronunciation. Don't pronunciation. Oh, not that one, but it's my most hated. <laughs> uh, it was uh, Spanish words. Oh, okay. It, it was. It was actually quite helpful. Is this? Um, I was, was there a special Spanish edition of Breakfasters that occurred before? I no, joined? I was just talking a lot about the soccer and I was pronouncing that pronouncing names. No, you, no, no, pronouncing. no. You pronounce okay. a pronunciation. We should cut to a song. <laughs> oh, I said a repentance right now, absolutely frothing. <laughs> no, oh, keep going. I want to know. Um, no, yeah, no, that, I'll, I'll end on that one. But, we'll, you know, when I was younger, <laughs> this isn't saying words wrong. This is just getting muddled up. I was 12 years old and I was in a uh, rep team for Tempin Bowling, for my Tempin Bowling Mm -hmm. um, alley, uh, the Junior Shield, Northcote Bowling (laughs) Centre. Anyway, I was 12 and there was another girl in the team. She was 15. Her name was Vanessa and I was madly in love with her. And she was coming over to my table where I was sitting by myself just eating chips in between games. And I could see her coming over. I was like getting nervous and I was like, just offer her a chip, just chill offer her a chip, offer her a chip, and that's what was going through my head. And she came and she was smiling and she went to sit down and she started talking to me. I don't know what the hell she was saying. And then I went to offer her a chip and I did it so vigorously, the chips fell out of the packet. Oh, no. And I said, chippy. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And I died. I I absolutely died. And she hugged me and she's like, oh, you're so adorable. And I honestly, I died. It was the worst moment of my life. And you're like, i got to go. See ya. Triple R. I've been listening to Breakfasters on Triple R. We're talking about mispronunciations before, <laughs> and someone on the text line did say that their uh, mother-in-law says avocado. That would drive me insane mm. if I had to put it, listen to that all the time. I would just never serve. I would just never, never talk about avocado. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I, I've been punished for Renaissance. I think that's interchangeable. I think so too. Mm. In the Renaissance, like I'm. Well, I'm. I think you were Renaissance man, but the period was the Renaissance. Oh, well, yeah. But I know. I know that doesn't make any sense got, at all. I got. Yeah, someone picked me up on it for saying Renaissance once because they said it was American. And Renaissance, Renaissance is American. Is, they're saying. Oh, I mean, I think it was just. I think it was my brother, so he's probably just like. Yeah, I think it was – yeah, that's not what we But say. you do become incredibly self-conscious, don't you? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I've, never, I've always said Renaissance since. 
Really? I was, I, think I was, I was like I 11, I think. So I was like, oh, well, that's right. I'm wrong. Obviously. Someone else, Sasiki? Oh, that's a classic. That trips so many people up. Suzuki, Suzuki, but it's Tsitsiki. Oh, Tsitsiki Vitara or whatever. Oh, yeah, Suzuki. And I was saying as well, my dad says balloon for balloon, and I don't know what that is. Adding in the W. Balloon, yeah, like the two O's trip him up. Like, he doesn't do it with anything else. He doesn't say like fluid or. Photo booth, like I know people that booth. <laughs> I know people that say pool, a pool, yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of a pool. Mum says pool. that cool school pool. Yeah, yeah. I think that's well. An you've got a lot thing. of Adelaide connections. Is that related or not? You know what they say in Adelaide. What? Instead of will, I will. Oh, like will, will, W I W, and can pill. they pronounce pill. Question, really pill. Like pill. <laughs> Maybe that's to Zabby's family. I Sorry, will. everyone from Adelaide. I will. I will take a pill. <laughs> no, 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 takes it. Can you explain this? Uh, English grandmother says crisps. <laughs> What's can't, that? Can't put a lid on them. Crisps. Crisps. <laughs> it's like the, the mouth goes crinkle cut like the crisp itself. Crisps. Yeah. Oh, no, okay, yeah, fine. We'll stop there. Yeah, we we'll better stop. stop. <laughs> it's been an absolute triathlon. <laughs> right. Triple R. Kitty Flanagan is a writer, performer, author and stand-up who tours all over the country and whose TV appearances include The Weekly, Have You Been Paying Attention, as well as playing Rhonda and Utopia and Helen in her own creation, Fisk, which saw her win two actor awards for Best Comedy Performer and Best Narrative Comedy, as well as the 2022 Silver Logie Award for Most Popular Actress. The second season of The Greatest Comedy about a suburban Wilson Estates lawyer. Hit screens this Wednesday on the ABC. And to tell us about it, the smart and very creative empath joins us now. <laughs> Kitty, welcome back to Breakfasters. Thanks for having me. Nice mm. to be here. Uh, now, is this... Uh is this like a difficult second album or is it like well, we know what we're doing now? This is fun. Yeah, well, when you just listed off all the uh, trophies there, I went, wow, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> the only way is down. Um, no, look, it was easier in that it was easier to write for uh, Aaron, Julia and Marty this time around because everyone uh, had, you know, gotten so into their characters and they gave us a lot in the first season of, you know, little phrases and stuff that they use so we were able to just basically we just steal from them and uh and put it in the scripts mm. is writing the scripts the f- funnest part i mean I, I, is there an element of like maybe you're writing with your sister and like you make each other laugh and it's like oh now we've got to go actually shoot it it's both fun and torture like you know like you do sit there for a long time just going oh my god i've got nothing and just saying stuff and the beauty of writing with your sister is that uh, when you're writing comedy, you have to write with someone who is prepared to say that's not funny. Mm. <laughs> Otherwise, you're both just going to be polite and come up with something that you both go, oh, I didn't think that was funny, but I didn't want to offend anyone. So, so it's really good. But it also is – it's difficult, you know, when you go, okay, so this isn't exactly it. You're always putting a caveat on it going, this isn't exactly the dialogue, but what about something like this? And then you just watch their face and go, okay, so not that, <laughs> not yeah. that, but yeah. something funnier than that. What about this but funny? That's, mm. that's often how we write. That's the process is if it was this but funny, would that work? <laughs> um, I'd imagine in life there's a lot of placeholder ideas or placeholder dialogue that ends up going oh, all the way. so much. And we call it who paid for the coffee dialogue. <laughs> Because my sister always comes back to me and goes, you've written about a page here and it's all about like, oh, Roz gave you her card and so then you tapped it and then she said, I don't think anyone cares who paid for the coffee. We can probably lose all that with no problem and it's not going to lose any of the comedy. Went, yeah, you're right. But, yeah, you just sort of start writing and you just feel this compulsion to fill the page, otherwise you haven't done anything. But, yeah, that makes it very easy to then go back and go, okay, that page we don't need yeah. and that page we don't need. Mm. So, yeah. 
Who but, paid for the coffee and NTD, not the dialogue, is the oh, other thing to say. Right. Not the dialogue, but this is what we need to get out. Yeah. So. What about North Melbourne? I mean, you're shooting on Errol Street, what, above the Lithuanian club? Are you, aren't yes. you interrupting, like, men playing board games or something? We're what? not even shooting above the Lithuanian club. We are in the Lithuanian oh, right. club. That is the litho that we're, um, that we're filming in. It's all their offices and everything upstairs that we, you know, bring in and turn into it. They, they've kept a lot of our set because they liked what we did with the <laughs> really? with the you got a bit of Lithuanian flair. <laughs> yeah, they really like what we've done with it. So they've kept a lot of it. So yeah, if you go there now, you can do a tour of the set upstairs. <laughs> you got a lot of comedians that are performing in this. Do you base the character around them as a person and comedian? We did sort of find that that was an easier way to get the comedy that you want if you if you can find someone who's already got that kind of voice or if you know their voice and they're right to that. That does make it easier than getting it and having to say to someone do it like this, do it like this, and they're kind of doing it like themselves and say, no, do it like I'm doing it, which isn't a great way to direct. (laughs) I don't think a lot of actors like that. Can you do it like I'm saying it? That's not how you're supposed to direct. You're supposed to let people find it. But with comedians, if you're right to their voice a bit more, like Aaron, we wrote the role for Aaron. Mm, So we knew how he spoke and we knew his kind of odd little ways and that just made it much easier because then it came out exactly how we heard it in our head. Mm. Same with Marty, same with Julia, and so that's how we sort of try and pick people to come in and be in the show as well. If we've got, like, we've got Colin Lane in this time mm-hmm. being, you know, an annoying middle-aged man. It's like, who else would you go <laughs> for? So, it's like, who's an annoying middle-aged man? I know, Colin, let's get him in. I like in the culture newsreaders trying to be funny. I like everybody trying to be funny. That's what I like. <laughs> I like uh, sports writers trying to be funny. People who aren't funny giving da- it a go. Daniel's, That's my favourite thing. Daniel's putting his foot down on people trying to be funny who aren't funny. He's very... Not so secretly mad about it. <laughs> well, it true. is a little bit galling. You do kind of go, oh, you know, it's it's like when you're not to speak out of turn, but like when you get notes on your script from people who don't do comedy. Mm. And it's like, well, I don't think anyone sits on a plane and like writes a little note to the pilot and goes, I was thinking maybe, what, what about 40,000 feet? Do you want to try it? I just thought maybe try that. Like I just thought I'd have a go at giving you a note. Just little things like that. It's like, oh, well, you know, if you get up and do some comedy and stand on stage in front of people and find out if this is funny or isn't funny, then I'll listen to your yeah. note. But, yeah, other notes I don't mind about plot, whatever, but when mm. they go, you know, oh, I don't know about this joke. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's funny. Yeah. I reckon I know what funny is. Yeah. So, how about uh, I was thinking, like, say, Mark Downey, uh, oh. she makes an appearance. I there is comedy in her performance where I didn't oh. know it was there, or how did she taps into a vein that is not, I don't know, like accessible to mortals? Uh, Marg's insane. Mm. She's and she's one of those people too that we write it with Marg in our head. And you just then it just comes out exactly as you heard it and more yeah. with a cherry on top. She's just incredible. Like she just does so many little things with her hands and her <laughs> gestures yeah. and her pausing. Her timing is impeccable. Mm. I just have never met anyone. You don't have to give her it. She doesn't have to be told anything. You just she just knows exactly yeah. how to time it and uh, play it. And there yeah, there are so many cameos and uh, performances like that. You're touring, you're leaving soon, I suppose. Well, I've been on tour the whole time oh, pretty right. much. Okay. <laughs> Once we finished shooting, I had to go back out on the road because I had to get my show ready. Mm. Um so that, you know, because you can't just sit around and not do stand-up, otherwise you just go stale. Yeah. So the minute we finished shooting, I went back out and was just doing regional um, Victoria shows that I could get to, that I could drive to and get yeah. back in a day so that I could uh, still be editing. And how important are bakeries in this life? <laughs> 
so important. I mean, I don't know if you. I've got a podcast about <laughs> snack food. So yeah, all the um, that's the best thing about that's going to be my next book. I think is where to get the good coffee and cakes in the regions because yeah. I do all the regional touring and know all the good places now. Mum so. loves it. I do. Yeah, I'm a junkies fan. So <laughs> <laughs> what's what's your cake? What's your bakery item of choice? Apple. You got to get an apple cake. An apple cake. Oh, you know, right. with the icing on top. Nice, nice. Vanilla but, slice. Vanilla slice, that's mm. old school. But I reckon mm. that's risky, right? Because everywhere it has is the best vanilla slice. Well, we, Who do you trust? There's a very good cinnamon scroll if anyone ever goes to uh, Wangaratta at a place called Preview. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent cinnamon scroll. And I'm not even a fan of the cinnamon scroll. And someone said, you've got to have one. And I went, yeah, right. And just ate it and went, oh, my God, that is the best <laughs> thing I've ever had. Do you know why it's called Preview? Is it like you go there before the view? Or? Oh, it's got a bit of a weird spelling to it. It's oh, just one it. of the, you know, it's like it P-R-E and then V-U-E. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it basically, I gave the impression you're going to Kindon on Thursday just for the bakery. Is that... is, has Kindon got a good bakery? Oh, I think so. Kindon's got a good everything. We're oh, playing right. the town hall there. They don't oh. have a theatre, but we'll be in the town hall. <laughs> really? Bring a chair. And, uh, bring a cushion. <laughs> bring a cake. Do you, what's, <laughs> yeah, what, what's a... A gig experience where there's been what's the biggest distraction there's been with you on stage? Oh well, probably Noosa, where um, <laughs> where a man stood up and said that I was shaming all men, <laughs> and he was a white middle aged man. I didn't have a lot of sympathy for him. What, Colin and, Lane was doing this, and, <laughs> and yeah, he stood up and kicked off, and it got very ugly in the um, and that that's quite recently because the rest of the audience turned on him, so it started to turn into a fight in the audience that I was now refereeing. Like I was no longer the target. It was like me just trying to break it up. And so that meant I ended up defending this guy who was being a bit of a cock by telling other people, hey, could we not get into a brawl in the theatre? And he took about 15 minutes. He wouldn't leave even though I said, mate, you're not going to enjoy – if you didn't like that, you're not going to enjoy the rest of the show. Um, Go and get your money back. No problems at all. I don't even know why you're here, but just I don't want to ruin your Saturday night. Go and have a drink in the pub, you know, good on you. Off you go. And he went, no. And I was like – I don't this is this is the whole problem like you don't understand you're not going because I've told you to go mm. and you don't want to be shamed by a woman like uh. telling you to go so he was like just folding his arms like what you're going to have a bad time just to spite me like I don't yeah. see how this is working eventually he left when I turned around and I couldn't see him, he sort of scurried out. Mm. But then I just had to lie down on the stage and say to people because it'd been about 15 minutes oh, and I wow. said I just don't know how to get this back now. <laughs> Should we do some jokes, everybody? It was just and in Noosa, you don't expect that in Noosa. Like Should be so relaxed. Maybe some RSL somewhere. Yeah, in, you know, could it be the tropical heat or something? Oh. Since people were a bit balmy, uh, a bit tropical. What it was, but that's really scarred me. You know, then I had another couple of guys who were really, really drunk the other day at a show in Albury. Like, so drunk they couldn't even walk up the stairs when they had to actually be escorted out. And why is this happening in my shows? Like, you know, it's not really. I, I looked down and saw two guys, about 40, beards, big guys in Metallica shirts, and I went, I don't know what you think you came to, Yeah. but I'm I'm not about to bring out a band, if that's what you're waiting for. And I gave them the opportunity to leave as well. They didn't want to. I think they didn't even understand what I was saying. They were that drunk. They were drinking wine out of... I don't, who's going to come to my shows now? No, so like I've got a really great so time. Like, that sounds so raucous. <laughs> so yeah, and what so, they drinking wine out of? Out of um, like big giant plastic water bottles. Like <laughs> oh, so wow. they snuck Classy. it in. Like yeah. that's how clever they were. They'd snuck it in in a clear water bottle. It's like we can see that's not water. Are you trying to sell us that I'm drinking my own urine? Like what is? 
But yeah, wine as well. They weren't even drinking beers. They were an odd How counterintuitive. So, uh, well, I'm sure they've got a podcast we can listen but, to. Yeah. <laughs> but it has made me a bit gun shy. Like because of the Noosa incident, I yeah. didn't really want to take them on too much. I kind of went, hey, guys, why don't you just leave? <laughs> and when they didn't say anything, I went, all right, we'll just shush then. <laughs> I was thinking about your fans and how, uh, you know, comedians have people come up to them and say, I've got a joke. But now that you've written 488 Rules for Life and the follow-up <laughs> cash grab, uh, <laughs> you must have people offering rules. Oh. Yeah, I've, I've, I feel like I've covered most of them. But, yeah, I'll tell you the one rule that people come up to me all the time with that just for someone with as many rules as I have mm. that I just don't care about, mm. but people get really funny about which way the toilet paper goes when you oh. put it on the thing, whether it is oh. the – is the toilet paper hanging away from the wall or is it against the wall? And people think that should be a rule. And I went, yeah, I've got a lot of rules, but that one just doesn't bother me. Yeah. But that is a real polariser apparently. Yeah, it's Breaks a hill up that marriages. people want to die on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I noticed also that your mum had a rule uh, and then the, that rule was on the blurb. Oh, which one's my I, mum's I, rule? I wish I had it with me. Because uh, my mum's got a lot of rules. Yeah, so it could be many of them. You said, full disclosure, this is my mum's rule. And then on the back, it's like mum's rule made the back. <laughs> Go mum, go mum, Flanagan. Well, mum's got a rule that I think she should uh, she should talk to Elon Musk about, which is if you haven't got anything nice to say, then don't say anything at <laughs> no. all. I think that should be the rule on Twitter. Wouldn't that change Twitter? Oh. If that was the rule on no. Twitter. Imagine that. The you're, user you're agreement. on Twitter. I oh, my God. No, I can't. Yeah. No, I can't take it when one person in a theatre says a mean thing to me. You know, yeah. I like lie down and have to recover. Oh, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't take it if I was on Twitter. No mm. way. What if we've run out of time. We've got to go. I did want to ask, shooting in North Melbourne, would the, oh, you, yeah, you would have some pretty, you know. Well, we're all sad about the bakery that closed Well, then mm. uh, Beatrix Bates. Yeah, gone. Yes. Sad. Yes, that is sad. <laughs> Uh, Lest but, we forget. But it's good. I, it's not often you get to see the 57 tram in national prime time. I know. And it was, you know, it's, it makes such a great, like, transition shot. And can I tell you, though, how annoying it is to shoot on Errol Street? If oh, anyone's thinking of filming, of they go past. It's a very regular tram <laughs> service, can I say. We lost a lot of takes because of that tram. Uh, all right. Well, you can catch Fisk this Wednesday at 9pm on ABC2. It's also on iview. And you can see Kitty do stand-up in Bendigo and Kyneton uh, <laughs> this Thursday to Sunday. Yeah, and all my other uh, – my tour dates have just been announced too. If you go to my website, I'm doing the Melbourne Festival and Sydney and the, I'm actually getting to the Cap Cities for once. Wow, it's all happening. <laughs> it's uh, a rarity. Head to kittyflanagan.com for all the tour details and catch season two of Fisk this Wednesday at 9pm on ABC. Kitty, thank you. Thanks, guys. Triple R. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. With Michael Hardenaway on important eating business, we welcome back to Breakfast's food interlude Besha Rodell. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, where are we going this week? We're going all over the world this week. I'm trying to find places that make you feel like you are completely transported to another part of the world, which given the crappy, rainy, stupid spring we're mm. having, I think we could all use. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, do you have a, a, a continent that you'd like to... To spend time in, culinary-wise? I mean, so in many. In an aesthetic um, So many. I think we'll probably spend a fair amount of time in Asia, which, um, you know, I think in Melbourne now there's so many 
places that you could go and basically be in Asia. If you, uh, in the CBD, um, on a Friday night, sometimes you would look around and think you were in Asia no matter what, which has made our city so much more delicious. But, um, I'm going to start in Japan. Um, this restaurant, uh, is in North Melbourne, and I think sometimes when you say North Melbourne, it's like feels really far away from a lot of people if you don't live in North Melbourne, but this is like right by the market, so it's actually pretty close to the city. Um, this is a place called Saki Dokoro Namara. Um, it's a little sake bar on Victoria Street there, and um, I just had it, that's kind of the place that inspired this um, idea because I had this experience there a couple of weeks ago where I was sitting there and it's like, you know, if you look out the window, you can see Victoria Street and you see the broad iron and you're obviously in Melbourne. And then if you turn around and look into the place, it's just like everybody's speaking Japanese. Mm. It's lined with sake bottles. Um, the food is very Japanese. It's a little tapas, um, you know, just meant to go with sake basically and mm. it just felt like I was in one of those little sake bars in the train station in Tokyo wow. it was so very transporting um and uh they have I want to say probably you know over a hundred sakis they have a bunch of them on tap which is really cool oh. um and on Tuesday nights they do uh, a little sushi plate you have to order it in advance most mm. of the time it's not sushi though it's these um little tapas and um it's just, it's a really fun place and really, really, you know, really different than I would, I think, a lot of the Japanese you would get in Melbourne. Can, can I ask if you're wrangling friends or whatever, the the idea of not a theme per se, but as you say, uh, something that invokes a wholly new place, do, do you have to take a leap of faith sometimes or convince your fellow culinary companions, let's change our mindset here? I guess so. I think, um, you know, people who are food obsessive, that's kind of often the the goal is to find something mm -hmm. that's new and really, really different. I do think that convincing the public to think about, um, you know, Japanese food outside of sushi or outside of ramen mm -hmm. um, is is often uh, a little more tricky. And, um, and especially if, you know, if it's, if it's, costs a little bit. I mean, I think that there is this perception of people wanting a lot of, you know, especially Asian food to be really cheap and cheerful. And, yeah. um, mm. and I'm on a bit of a, um, <laughs> mission. A, a mission. Yeah. To, to make people understand that there's a lot of, uh, labor and love that goes into these things just as much as any kind of Western food. So. Yeah. So not as much mayo in this joint. I suppose. <laughs> no, not a lot of mayo. <laughs> no, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> um, from there, we're going to go to Egypt. Um, mm. <laughs> um, Half Moon Cafe in Coburg, <laughs> uh, which I only just went to for the first time recently. I know it's really beloved in that neighborhood. Um, but I also, you know, I have not been to Egypt, but I've spent uh, some time in um, Lebanon and in other Middle Eastern countries. And that feeling that Half Moon Cafe, which... Um, you know, they serve falafel, basically, and it's just a tiny little place, but the front of it is just covered in, you know, plastic chairs and tables, and there's so many people outside eating, and it's just got that 
real feel of mm. like the Middle East in the streets of the Middle East. And I think you can find that in Melbourne a lot. Um, you could t- look around and say, oh, I feel like I'm in Italy or I feel like I'm, but, but that part of the world is less so. So, um, and also their falafel is just really, really good. So <laughs> outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Um, do they do anything, uh, pecu- not peculiar, but I've been to some Egyptian places and then people are smoking and yeah, I mean, there's definitely people outside. I mean, this place is only big enough to like stand in and order and then you go out and they, you know, give you a number to come mm. get your order, but there's definitely, um, you know, old dudes sitting outside <laughs> smoking and like arguing about stuff. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, but that's really, um, that's, that's a huge part of the charm of the place. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll go back to Asia, um, uh, Korea in this case, and we're getting so many more great Korean restaurants. Um, but one of the kind of OG Korean places that again is not fried chicken and it is not Korean barbecue is a place called Jumak on Swanson Street in the city. Um, It's been open since 2010, and um, it doesn't have a sign. Uh, It's in a basement of an old building. Um, You kind of have to trust yourself that you're in the right place and just walk (laughs) into this office building. Um, And it is just this kind of Korean – it's almost a bar, but, it you know, they serve food. I think they're open till four in the morning most nights um and it's just full of korean kids asian kids sitting and eating you know they have uh korean stews that are pretty hard to find kimchi pancakes and they serve these you know soju drinks that are in these giant things that are all kinds of crazy colors and um it's just a really really fun place and really again feels totally like you're in Seoul when you're in there you know it's dark um they have these little wooden booths that you can kind of cram all your friends into and um it's just a really fun uh place that doesn't doesn't feel like the the Melbourne Korean restaurants that I've been to which are almost all fried chicken yeah. or, or barbecue what time is it in there is it like always 1am it's always 1am <laughs> in there yeah and um it's you know they don't I don't think that they take bookings and it's one of those things where you walk in and you tell them how many you have and they say, okay, come back in an hour and a half, you know, Mm, and like, it's really popular. And, um, but you know, not that many people know about it, I think outside of, um, the kids who frequent it. So Mm. it's a really, really fun. Can I uh, stop down and ask about seating in a restaurant that, uh, invokes a sense of place Mm -hmm. and the idea of maybe getting rid of the chairs and you're on the floor or you're Mm -hmm. on cushions. What is, do you spend a lot of time ever, uh, off a chair? I mean, not off a chair, but certainly I think a lot of these places, one of the things that they have in common, and especially the next two places I'm going to talk about, you know, Melbourne is not particularly known for street food. I don't think that we do that particularly well. Um, you know, you can get a kebab in a in a car wash, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but apart from that, there's not a ton of it. And we don't um, have the same thing as a lot of other cities, I think, where you just take whatever space there is and populate it with some kind of weird food thing, you know mm. what I mean? So um, I think, you know, taking up um, different interesting spaces and which may not be as comfortable as a traditional restaurant, but allows people who don't have maybe the money for a fit out or are just, you know, starting small. Um, it really does help with, uh, with that. So, I mean, all of these places, you will have a place to sit, yeah. <laughs> but it might be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so next we'll go to Africa cause, um, there's this place in Brunswick that is just in a weird 
car park behind <laughs> uh, on this little tiny street it's behind Sydney Road. Um, it's called Vola Foods and it's Cameroonian. Mm. Um, and uh, the owner, she's just taken up this space and kind of put a couple of, um, I think, shipping containers in it and just opened up a kitchen. And um, she, you know plays like afrobeat music and on a on a warm summer evening when you're there and there's like the music's playing and she's serving cameroonian food which is really delicious um and you'd look around and again it does not feel like melbourne it really it feels like an african street party you know which um is really cool and they have a bunch of seating in there and and whatever but um it's it, it it feels like yeah it feels like a party when it when it's when it's humming it feels oh. like a party it's really great what what's a you say cameroonian mm-hmm. uh what's a primary where would you what would you go there for in a food sense um probably uh the jollof rice um <laughs> with the with the um tomato gravy is really really good um she makes a whole boning fish that's delicious um she has these wings that she will not tell me what she puts on them <laughs> they're like sweet and spicy and fantastic um and it's a really great place for um vegetarian and vegan food uh she does some r- r- black beans that are just again she won't tell me what yeah, right. <laughs> lots of plantains yeah, yeah lots of plantains um it's just it's really really comforting um delicious and and really different i think than what you'd find goodness elsewhere. me where are yeah. we going next um so next we'll go to an old favorite in the city i feel like a lot of people know about this place but uh a lot of people don't um soy 38 which mm. is uh in a parking garage <laughs> um just off of burke street um and it really does feel like you've stepped out of the middle of the city and into bangkok it's uh and again, they started as a pop-up um, and then kind of found this space um, in this parking deck. And it's it's just beside the lifts. <laughs> and you walk in and um, they do have those little, uh, you know, colorful uh, little bench stools that um are all over thailand um and uh they serve in the daytime noodles mainly um boat noodles which are traditionally served off of boats in bangkok and then at night they serve this whole isan uh northern thai menu that is just so fantastic um one of their owners has just opened a little natural wine. Mm. Uh, just look at their website. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it's just this, it's called Le Cave Garage, and it's this tiny little natural wine pod that in what used to be the ticket booth, I think. For the, <laughs> um, and so now you can buy a bottle of natural wine and take it into Soy 38 and drink it without corkage, which is really fun too. But um, their food is just fantastic mm. as well. I think it really represented a, you know, I think Sydney is better than Melbourne at Thai food in general, mm. but this is like represented a really big step forward for um, Thai food. Yeah. And there's a, they've just got this huge new space um, that they've kind of moved into. And it's one of those things again, where you just kind of populate what's around you mm. um, and take up the space. Uh, so there used to be a massive, massive line um, and it's a little better now. I don't think that it's mitigated the mm. line as much as they thought it was going to, but, um, but again, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like Melbourne. It's very, very transportive and, and the food there is just fantastic. Fantastic. Just quickly, do you ever get nostalgic for the U.S. dining, the diner experience? I get nostalgic for a lot of things about the U.S. Um, diners, not as much. I mean, there aren't really many diners left in mm. even in New York. I mean, it's a dying breed. It's a, it's a sad thing. Um, I 
that was my high school experience of sitting in diners and drinking, you know, one dollar cup of coffee mm. for seven hours with my friends. But um, I'm, you know, I, I'm probably more nostalgic for southern food and mm. good tacos. <laughs> um, yeah. Those restaurants again, because people on the text line don't want to. So we've got Saka de Cora Namara, yes, Saki Bar, and then we've got Half Moon Cafe, mm-hmm. Jumac. It's J O O M A K, Vola Foods, V O L A Foods, and Soy Thirty Eight. Soy Thirty Eight. That's correct. Cool. Those are already saved in my bookmarks. <laughs> uh, that was very orally eye-watering. Uh, what a trip, <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. I headed down to Torquay for a few. Uh, a few days last week, which was beautiful, beautiful weather on the week off. Um, but before I headed down, I stopped at a, uh, a supermarket. I just needed to get a bottle of champagne. We'd packed everything else, but I thought, oh, let's have some mimosas. I was very excited. Mm. Anyway, I'm standing in line and there were people in front of me and behind me and everyone with their food groceries for the week and me with my single bottle of champagne. And, and you know when you stand in line at the supermarket and you look at other people's things sometimes. You can't help it sometimes. I mean, you can't help it. You're standing there. What else are you going to look at? Mm. So you look. Mm-hmm. Not You don't make a comment or anything. Anyway, the woman in front of me looked at my bottle of champagne by itself and then looked at me and then gave me like a, a smirk mm. and I was like, oh, God, as if I'm now, – now I feel judged. Mm. And then she makes a comment to me. She says to me at 10 a.m., sure, on a Monday morning – Big day planned. Oh, and like a mate of mine joking about me getting drunk on a Monday. Interesting. That is, that's I love risk, it. That's What's risky. Wrong with this? I think it's risky. It's great. Oh, so yeah. risky. Well, you know what? You know, I think in my head, like, I, in my, like, because I have thought about this so much because my, <laughs> what I did was the worst. What I feel like I should have done is either just gone, none of your business. Oh, no. But then we're standing in line for a longer and then it's just going to make it awkward. And I would never do that or ignore her. Anyway, what I did was try to explain myself. Oh, yeah. Mm. How embarrassing. Is oh, no, no, it's not just no, from, oh, no, I've actually got heaps planned. And I, I, it's for later. I, I, I'm going to refrigerate. I never drink. Oh, <laughs> it was so humiliating to stand there. And I'm sure the guy behind me was going, wow, this is such an uncomfortable situation. Anyway, so she says this to me and looks at me like with this kind of smirk, like I said, as though she's my mate. I don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. How dare you do this to me and make me feel so uncomfortable? So I said, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on holidays actually. I'm just heading up to, to Torquay uh, for the week. I'm going to make some mimosas. Mm. Shut up! Yeah. Shut Did up. she care? Was she like, oh, I didn't she, want a conversation. She didn't care. Just wanted to throw a zinger in there and she be done. She did. And then she, <laughs> but then she looked at me like, because, uh, I don't know, I was awkwardly nice and polite. And so she felt she had to continue the conversation. It was just a train wreck. Mm. It was so horrible. You should have smashed it over <laughs> the uh, cash register and said, I'm here to christen the checkout. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mind. I mean, I, I was walking with a six-pack at maybe 10 a.m. on a Monday or something mm. like that. Oh, yeah. And so construction people are like, oh, I'm going with this guy. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever lubricates the social conversation. Yeah, whatever easy, dumb gags you want to lean on. <laughs> like the classic of, you know, order for the table. Oh, what are you guys having? I bet yeah. those construction guys do that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. I 
think, yeah, that might have been funny if I was walking past with a six-pack and standing in this line. And, God, I just... Anyway, so then she says to me, she looks at me and she goes, have uh, have you... Have you tried it before? Is it is it any good? Oh, because then she probably oh, felt bad. She did feel bad because she was trying to make a joke. I should have said, "Yeah, I'm getting smashed. You want to yeah. come over?" Oh god, that would have been. Well, weird. no, no, you really no, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that at all. Anyway, <laughs> um, so then I say, "Yes, actually, on Saturday I had it for my dad's seventieth. Oh. It was really nice and dry." And then she looks at me awkwardly and thank God she got mm. served and she left and then I was it, it was such a horrible I do horrible live in experience. fear of this in some part. I if I'm <laughs> ever sent for toilet paper because I don't need it myself, but if I Of course not. If I am running an errand, I will get something in addition to it. Oh, interesting. So that to, to avoid because otherwise it looks like some kind of an emergency. People are weird about buying toilet paper. Like, I don't want to be seen buying toilet paper. I mean, I think now it was in recent yeah, years there was stigma with it for obvious reasons. Yes. But, oh, yeah. But people are like, oh, I don't want to just walk but down the street. But look what Bobby just went through. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's... You don't want it's that. It's not gross. Like, you know, there are gross. I mean, like, there are. Of course there are. There are. Toilet paper. Oh, big weekend. Uh, need to do a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try that next time. <laughs> I do, actually. Can I get in yeah, front of you, please? Yeah, great. <laughs> I... I just think commenting on anyone's groceries or what they're buying is, well, no, go. it's yeah, and like, like, yeah, I just would never do it. You never know what someone's going through. Um, I don't know. I, I worked. My first ever job was working at Priceline, and of course, you're not going to comment on what people are buying when you're checking. You know, you just mm. do. But there were sometimes where I was like, God, I want to know what is going on with you. Yeah, and I remember this guy came in. And I was like 14 or 15, so everyone over 45 probably looked old. But I remember thinking he looked – he would have been in his 60s maybe, maybe 50, who knows. Um, and he didn't speak or anything and all he <laughs> all he was buying was a packet of glow-in-the-dark condoms and a pregnancy test. <laughs> what? And I've thought of him since then. <laughs> wow. The horse has bolted, champ. I, well, I was like, buy a better pack of dingers if you go. <laughs> like, have a little bit of faith. <laughs> but also just like the age. I was like, that's oh, impressive. You must be very virile. I mean, again, this was in like 2004 and I still think about it. Um, so Go oh. in the dark. Yeah. So. I know. <laughs> what do you need to throw up a flare for a... <laughs> <laughs> Trouble finding it, mate. <laughs> Professor Donald Bates has for decades lectured extensively on architecture and he's a frequently invited juror on international design competitions for projects in China, Vietnam, Europe, Bolivia, Lebanon, Armenia and Australia. He's director at Lab Architecture Studio, which in 1997 won the international design competition for Fed Square, which tomorrow celebrates its 20th anniversary. And to tell us about this milestone and the surrounding events, the acclaimed architect joins us now. Professor Bates, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you very much. Now, please take us back to 1997. What was on the side of Fed Square and what was going on in your life and Fed Square's life? Well, we um, we did the competition in 1997, early 1997, but in fact we were based in London at that time. So Peter Davidson and myself, who were the directors and two students, started the competition in January of 1997. We got shortlisted in March, uh, one of the five shortlisted practices. We grew with other friends and students and some help to about 16 people then came to Melbourne in June of 1997, presented it to the jury, 
and then we waited. Yeah. There was no word. And then finally, in uh, the end of July, uh, they made an announcement uh, that we had won the competition. And by the way, they were going to add the National Gallery of Victoria Australian Art to Fed Square. Mm. And now, uh, so you're in London, you're working. How, how much does the plans at that time resemble what ended up being Fed Square? Well, there was quite a a reasonable change between our stage one competition and stage two. Peter came out in March, uh, uh, yeah, in March after we had been shortlisted, one to have a kind of debrief, but also to form a joint venture with Bates Smart Architects, the local practice that we formed up with. Uh, and between stage one and stage two, there was a reasonable change. Then when we um, won the competition uh, because they added Fed Square, uh, because they added uh, the National Gallery of Victoria to Fed Square, we had to make some more changes. And then there were some also changes relative to things what are now called the, the edge as part of the atrium and such. So, you know, it, from, from my eyes, it's, it's just an evolution of a project. For some people, it probably looked like three or four different projects by the time it got completed. Yeah. What was on the site? What was your impression of what was well, on the site? Well, there's nothing on the site because there was no site in, in the sense that where Fed Square is now located is a structural deck above the railways. So if you were standing on uh, Swanston Street, uh, in 1997, you would have been looking down about seven or eight meters to the trains running underneath. So if you stand right now on Russell Street, on the Russell Street side of Federation Square, directly outside of the NGV, and look down, that's what Fed Square looked like at Swanston Street. So yeah. there was nothing there. Yeah. Other than at that time, they were demolishing the gas and fuel buildings. But by the time I came to Melbourne in June of 97, uh, most of that had already been demolished. What kind of difficulty did it pose building on top of railways? Well, first of all, it hadn't been really done before, or certainly not very much, and not to the extent of a whole city block size uh, in Australia before. And the other was that because the railways had to keep working, they couldn't divert the trains, obviously, from Flinders Street Station. So they had about a three-and-a-half-hour working period in the middle of the night. So... Mm -hmm. After about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, they could turn off the electricity and they could bring in equipment and start to put the structural beams across the railway lines. And then they had to stop at about 5 o'clock and turn the electricity back on for the trains to start running again. Yeah. So until they put down the actual structural deck, um, it was a very um, complicated process. And then, So effectively, they've had to build the land to build the buildings on. Interesting place to open the cinema as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> the I noise. mean, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, the 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 building that's uh, it's actually called the Alfred Deakin Building, which is actually two buildings. So it's the building where the ACMI, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, is located, but it's also where SBS has their broadcasting and recording studios <laughs> for radio and television. And they're sort of two separate buildings, but they're joined together. Both of those buildings are actually resting on giant springs. If you can imagine the big springs like in an old truck or something, both of those buildings are resting on that. And that's to mm. mitigate the vibration and transfer from the railways working underneath. So, yes, if you chose a place to have very high acoustically rated buildings, you wouldn't do it above <laughs> railways if you had a better choice. Is it the most controversial project you've ever been a part of? Uh, yeah, probably. 
Yeah, definitely. Because we, we, I mean, all of our work since Federation Square has been not in Australia. So it's been in China, the Middle East, back in, in the UK, and things like this. And so none of them have had um, the kind of controversy that, that Fed Square had. Um, but also probably none have changed the city as much as Fed Square mm. has. Is that why it's controversial or is the, are the citizens conservative? No, 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 I don't think. Actually, you know, Melbourne, uh, certainly in 1997 and and to today, is probably one of the more progressive cities when it comes to architectural expression and and opportunities. But you have to realize that uh, we weren't from Melbourne, so there was a controversy that we're not locals doing this project. What do we know about Mm -hmm. Melbourne? And I would say I knew very little. Peter, who's from New South Wales, had been to Melbourne a few times before, so he understood Melbourne much more than I did. But it was also it was because we came from a different background than a lot of people who are architects in Australia. Our our influences and our sort of design sensibilities were also very different. There was also just a huge difference between people. Um, just nobody knew what a Fed Square was. You know, they, people were saying, "Oh, I thought it was just going to be more grass or something built above the railways." And then there was, you know, things like the political dimensions of it in terms of which government started it and then which government came in and changed it. There were questions around budgets. There were questions around time. But, you know, I think any project that makes a dramatic transformation will, of course, run into uh, differences of opinion and differences of positions of what should or shouldn't have happened. Mm. When you wander around now, does it uh, surprise you in any way or is it, is it being used in a way that you would have expected? Well, look, I think it's gone through different stages. Um, you know, uh, like I said before, when it first opened, nobody knew what a Fed Square was. I think there was – I mean, in a way, it had to write its own its own program of what it was to be. It wasn't copying – it wasn't just a museum. It wasn't just a cinema. It wasn't just some cafes and restaurants. It wasn't just a public open space. It was all of that and more. And as the sort of center of culture and social exchange – it also became very importantly that place where the multicultural dimension of Melbourne could be best expressed through national days and celebrations and different public events, you know, watching the World Cup on the screen at 3 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. or something like this. So, you know, I think it's it's over time, it's, it's taken on new roles and it's, you know, left some behind that are being fulfilled by other places and such, you know, when... I mean, one of the important differences for us between Fed Square and what already exists in Melbourne, which was the cultural center, which is the South Bank, uh, you know, the Hamer Hall and the State Theatres and the NGV, those were all produced in a time where culture was seen as a kind of somewhat exclusive practice and was separated from the city as if the city could somehow contaminate it with just day-to-day work and such. And Fed Square is part of the city, you know, it's on the, the north side of the Yarra, it's really adjacent to the, the day-to-day life of the city. And so it's important for us to include things like cafes and restaurants as much as cultural institutions like the NGV. Mm. Now you see in South Bank there's cafes and they're open later in the day and they're open on the weekend and they're open late at night. So there's been a transformation of, you know, culture is not a one thing you do once a month or once a year with your grandmother, it's something you do every day on the way to the footy, on home from work, whatever the case might be. Yeah. Did you get married there? Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it must hold obviously a very special place in your heart. We have soon after the was you was you were you getting married there when it was 
built. It was still under construction. So, yeah. you know, the I mean, there's Did photographs. you wear hard hats? <laughs> no, we didn't have to because there was no work going on. It was on a Saturday. It was a non-working day. It, it was just the deck, so there was nothing above our heads to worry about. But, you know, as we were having the ceremony, there were trains passing by and honking their horns. Not because they could see us. It's just that as they come into Flinders mm-hmm. Street Station, that's what they do. And so, you know, there was enough of an area for us to set up a little marquee and have some drinks and have the ceremony. And But literally behind my back, as the ceremony was taking place, you could see the trains going from east to west and that's such. Cool. <laughs> now, the 20th anniversary, t- tell us what you know of that's in store. Well, I, I mean, I know mostly because I've looked at the website, and uh, there are a lot of different events that are going on. Probably one of the most interesting from my point of view is that there's a, a composer who's produced uh, a piece of music that will be performed uh, tomorrow evening. It'll be the debut. And she's um, produced the, the, the score uh, by looking at our drawings. So she's taken our original architectural drawings that were used to build the, the project and done a kind of uh, graphic overlay. Uh, she has a sort of system she uses and has turned that into a musical score, which then I think the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra will be p- previewing uh, tomorrow evening. Wow. When you wander around, is there one detail that would escape the rest of us, but you... Uh, just strikes you as something kind of personal and inventive? Oh, gosh, I'd have to walk around and remember what they all are. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's always interesting that, you know, no matter how many drawings you do, and we did hundreds of thousands of drawings for this project. When I say we, it was, you know, a whole team of people working on it. The, you know, when it's built, you walk and you go, oh, I don't remember even thinking about that detail underneath a staircase or around a corner or something. So you're always seeing parts that even though you thought you drew everything, you never drew that. But it's there because it's a consequence of the construction. I mean, I think the thing that still probably hits me the strongest, and I was there recently for a for a conference in The Edge, and I think it's still the most magical space imaginable for me you know I mean it's hard to believe we had something to do with it when I when I walk in there but you know if you're in there late in the afternoon early evening and you're hearing somebody talk or you're hearing a music performance or something and the lights going down and you can just see the Yarra behind and the lights are coming up uh, you know across the river it's quite special Absolutely. Well, for more details about this 20th anniversary celebration, head to fedsquare.com. And uh, buildings, do they often have birthdays? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we had a private one 10 years ago, and which was really just all the people that worked on it or certainly that were in, in our office uh, to celebrate it. So I think, you know, 20 years is special. I mean, it's also... You know, Fed Square is, I think, the youngest building that's also a heritage-listed building. So, you know, it's uh, it was heritage-listed before it got 20 years old, when it was only 17 mm. years wow. old. wasn't even an adult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, com is where you go for a list of all the events. And we've been talking with Director at Lab Architecture Studio, Professor Donald Bates. Thank you. Thank you. Triple R. Inducing theme can mean only one thing. It's time to laugh. Oh, yeah. Get ready. <laughs> what? 
uh, as our Friday Funny Burger joins us. It's writer and comedian Emma Holland. Morning. Hello. I'm promising goofs and gags yes. all morning long. <laughs> Rock solid yuck yucks from go to woe. Um, now, it's the end of October. Which is what, meaningful to you? I I love Halloween. I can't tell you how much I love Halloween. I was carving a pumpkin yesterday. I get right <laughs> into it. I carved Corey Worthington into a pumpkin. Wow. What a callback. I know. When Did was you have... his party around Halloween? Or... Oh, no, he's the villain? What's the deal? Well, well my, my he's logic. He's a figure, Daniel. <laughs> There's yeah. this thought. It's a thought process. My logic was that I think social situations are quite scary. Oh. And there's been no social situation bigger than Corey Worthington's house party. That's right. And therefore, I carved him into a pumpkin. That's, that joint should be heritage listed. Did you? Yeah. Did yeah. you? So did he have sunny? Did the pumpkin have sunnies? Mm. Or you carved sunnies into Yeah, it? obviously. Oh, no, I carved. I carved. Okay. Oh, wow. I've got a visual arts degree. Oh, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> You've got to use it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got a very um, long and turbulent history with pumpkin carving, so I take it very seriously. Do you actually? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is because you're a big Halloween head. Is this why? Yeah, yeah. I So I, I spent most of my childhood in Indonesia and I went to an international school and it was huge there. It was like uh, we'd have a massive Halloween party with the whole school and there was always a pumpkin carving competition. Oh. I'd enter every year. I never once won. I'd always come second or third. And the reason I never won is because every year there was this kid, I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say his real name. <laughs> a kid in Indonesia when you were at school? Yeah, yeah. Probably not listening. Um, his name was Dennis. Oh. Sorry, for <laughs> listeners at home, I rolled my eyes. <laughs> um, and Dennis, every year, he was three years younger than me and every year he had the most intricate pumpkin designs and I never understood why. And, like, he wasn't, like, God bless him, he wasn't very talented in any area. So I just couldn't fathom why his pumpkins were so good. And I'm a very competitive person. So it made me, like, quite aggressive and I'd up my game every single year. If anything, you push me to be better. But I'd <laughs> up my game every year. And then I remember the one year I was so proud. I did this, like, really beautiful Frankenstein. It had, like, shadowing and, like, I did it from, like, a cutout. And it took me so long. It took me, like, three days. And then... His was just, like, even better that year. I was so mad. <laughs> was he cheating? Was it his oh, parents? Oh, he was cheating. Oh. I, um, I found out that year, because that was the breaking point, right? I was like, there's no way this kid is better than my Frankenstein this year. <laughs> there's absolutely no way. Um, and I found out that... So in Indonesia, a lot of expats have staff. So, like, maids and drivers mm. and guards. Um, I found out he was getting his guard <gasps> to do all the pumpkins for him every single year oh, Dennis. What? and then he wasn't giving him the prize money oh, oh, just... oh, <laughs> I Dennis. hate this Dennis kid <laughs> that is much. um that is that's really disappointing I'm I know sorry it's deep, you. thank you thank you it's so been a lot of trauma money. but sorry prize money yeah oh yeah, well, actually like... let's go to that <laughs> school is that is a good point. <laughs> what kind of school is paying this? I love it. I mean, the conversion rate, it, it was about $5. But that's still, that's like a few decent meals over there. Yeah. So How long does it take you to knock off a pumpkin? Uh, I'm pretty quick nowadays, now that I've had my, um, my fair share of experience. <laughs> I, yesterday's I did in about a couple hours. Okay. What if you screw up? Is it okay? I don't screw up. You don't up. screw up, man. <laughs> I've never made a mistake in my life. <laughs> Are you hosting a Halloween party or do you bring this or do you just put it on your I'm – I'm not a Halloween person. I'm sorry. I, 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 I need some more information. I put it out the front of my house 
Yeah. And I, I realised that's terrible because I posted a photo of it on Instagram and then got a comment that said, oh, I passed this today. I know where you live now. <laughs> oh, just terrific. <laughs> Like well, in the spirit of Halloween, scare the hell out of you. Yeah. But I, get, I get very into, like, decorating. The only decoration I do is I've got a model skeleton, obviously. Mm. Obviously. Um, it was the first thing I bought with TV money. I got my first paycheck and I bought a $350 model oh. skeleton. <laughs> so is that, like, an anatomically correct, like, a med? Like, yeah. Why, do you, why don't you just get one from... A costume shop again. Because it's feel not like weighty. Showing. Oh, okay. I want yeah. the like. I want to be able to lift legit. it and it feel like a person. Yeah, okay. Mm. So I saved up with all my um pumpkin money from a t-shirt. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> st- sorry, how's it stand up? It has a stand, which I I toured with it last year for my um comedy festival show. So mm. I had to buy a. This is really adding up. I had to buy a five hundred dollars suitcase to travel wow. the skeleton around in. <laughs> <laughs> this is. Okay, well, uh, a bit worth it. Yeah, but I while I was travelling with it, I lost one of the screws, one screw, and now it can't stand up anymore. Oh, oh no. I know. Thank, thank you for your... Did customs sympathy. ever say, just flagging this, Emma, um, you've got a suitcase with a skeleton in it? Or? I was so terrified of it being x-rayed because, like, of course, if it was a body, the skeleton would pop up only. Mm. Yeah. So I was scared of it going through and then, like thinking I had a had a body taken. Is it a work of art or is it a work of science or that it's obviously both to you? You know, as as someone who studied both things, I think it's a beautiful crossover. Yeah. <laughs> um, I sit it out front of my house now every Halloween, just dress it up, put like captain's hats on it and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so anyone who sees that knows where you live, which is good. Yeah, mm. so um, please don't. Does it have a name door. and is it Dennis? He does have a name. <laughs> <laughs> No, I would. I, I respect him too much. His name is actually Mr. Respect. <laughs> um, and I would appreciate it if you treated him. I will. Of course. Like Mr. Yeah. Uh, now, you're, are you taking Mr. Respect overseas on your next trip? No, he has to stay here. Unfortunately, okay. I'm. I'm going. I was just telling you before. I'm going to Indonesia next week. Mm. Back to back to my roots. To um. See Dennis. Close some doors, if you will. <laughs> doors. Around this time, taking my pumpkin over with me to um, <laughs> enter back in my school's competition. <laughs> Claim that five bucks. Yeah. yeah exactly. Hasn't explained Corey Worthington to Indonesian border force. Oh, that, everybody knows. Every, he loved Bali, I bet. He, so, oh, yes. now, oh, 100%. Have, have you heard of Leela McKinnon? Let's start there. <laughs> Pulling out a whiteboard. <laughs> like strings like I'm a detective. <laughs> to a Halloween party tonight. Uh, I've never been to one. I'm, I'm going to one and it's a dress-up party. What are you going as? Well, I haven't got anything. But Something I'm... slutty, I think. Isn't that <laughs> the rule? <laughs> it is the rule. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you judge people that don't dress up at dress-up parties? No, because I've, I've got a partner who's like quite introverted and shy mm. and doesn't like dressing up, so I'm very understanding. But mm. I also will be like, if you ever stop me from going hard, mm. I will leave you. Yeah. <laughs> No, fair enough. So I've been planning my costume for some time. Ah. It's been in the works for a couple of weeks. Is you, it a secret? Yeah, can you discuss it all? Uh, oh, yeah. I'll discuss, have you seen the Lizzie McGuire movie? No. No. That's okay. It's a, it's a very, um, I think, of my era reference. <laughs> Wait, what I just happened? <laughs> oh, I'm old. I made my partner watch it last night because he's, he's also a little bit older than me and he hadn't seen it. And so I sat down with him and I was like, again, if you don't like this movie, I will leave you. I have a lot of boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a character in it. Uh, who's like the Italian version of Lizzie McGuire. Oh. But it, like Hilary Duff still plays her, so I'm going as the Italian version of Lizzie McGuire. That is niche. <laughs> I reckon I've seen Isn't it. it. 
Bits of that. It'll be a hit with everyone who was born between 94 and 96, I reckon. So it's a very, like, specific demographic that <laughs> yeah, I'm not targeting. your audience, though. Yeah. yeah. And so, obviously, you don't care that you have to explain the costume. That doesn't matter to you. Oh, no, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just stoked to, um, I'm just stoked to be there. <laughs> and <laughs> just is to be the, invited to something. <laughs> is it uh, the Lizzie of the poster? Uh, uh, did you just Google it? <laughs> um, like a bl- short blue dress sort of... No, no, no it's the, you, Italian the Italian. If you look oh, up the Italian the red dress. Look up Isabella Lizzie McGuire oh, and that's God. she wears green. Having not watched it, does Hilary Duff do an Italian accent for that role? She absolutely does. Oh great. <laughs> and it is not good. <laughs> I can imagine. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> will you be doing that at the party? <laughs> yeah, will you go full method? Oh I think it depends if I want to have a career yeah, in the okay. next few years. Mm-hmm. So yes. So yeah, what's obviously. the most niche given that this uh Halloween costume requires footnotes and a printout or a plaque yeah. that you have to carry <laughs> yeah. around. For, um, what's the deepest cut that you've gone as a Halloween costume? That's a great question. Um, oh, what what have I done? You know, I think this might be the deepest cut, but I've definitely done some that um, didn't read. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds like that's your... Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, last year I wanted to go as just spooky cowboy mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. and everyone kept saying I was Yosemite Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so I just ran with it. Yeah. Um, uh, what else what is I... a spooky cowboy? It's just a cowboy, but he's quite pale. <laughs> <laughs> And has dark circles under his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in everyone else's defence, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't read at all. <laughs> cowboy. Yeah. All right. Now, do you have any shows coming up? I do. I am running, uh, as you know, we're leading up to comedy festival season in the next few months. So, I'm running some new material nights at the Butterfly Club. Um, I'm running three of them over the course of November. First one is 10th of November. Uh, they're called the Trial, and the uh, premise of these shows is I'm going to go dressed as a judge and host these shows and I'm going to make my friends come in and do new material sets and then afterwards I'm going to make them defend them and then sentence them to for crimes against Beautiful. humanity. <laughs> like Lovely. Fun. So details at thebutterflyclub.com? Yep, butterflyclub.com. Um, awesome lineup for the first one as well. Uh, I've shot friend of the show, Scout Boxel. Oh, is awesome. Mm-hmm. So that'll be great. Frankie McNair, Grace Jarvis, Oliver Coleman. So it's going to be a cool. real cool. fun little, mm. little night, I think. That's fun. Happy yeah. judging. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm planning on bringing a mortar and pestle instead of a um, the camera because I don't have one. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's do it again. Thanks very much, Emma. Thank you so much. Woo! <sighs> That's right. Triple R. I watched a movie a couple of days ago, King William with Will Smith about Venus and Serena. Oh, I watched it on the Serena. Plane. Oh, did you? Mm. Yeah. What did you think of it? Uh, I had low expectations. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, a plain movie. Yeah. <laughs> it I mean, filled the void that I, I needed for that short period of time. <laughs> Great. Moving on. Um, if anyone would like to hire me as a film critic. Yeah. No, it's, it's what you're not saying that yeah. speaks volumes. No, it's more that, like, he, I, don't, I don't think – I know I'm hijacking this segment with oh, my no, review. I but he, um, I don't think he was deserving of best actor. Slap, no, slap. That's not what I'm thinking of. I thought he was fine. But if you've seen Power of the Dog, yeah. Batch was absolutely robbed. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was a good movie. It's a good story. It's mm. a little bit corny, but it was, you know, some good nostalgia. And mm. I like tennis. Oh, that yes. was Mon's own passive-aggressive slap. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
I really enjoyed it. <laughs> One of the things that in, in the movie, um, I wasn't actually thinking of him as best actor in yeah. that either. That, yeah. Um, but I did, I, I did like the, the story and the storyline and just knowing, you know, just watching Venus and Serena playing. Um, I was very surprised that it was very focused on Venus. Like yeah. it was all Venus. Well, because it, it was like she was the first, she was the number yeah. one at, yeah. at the time. Anyway, one of the things that they have in the movie is um, him, um, the father, who's William. Oh, uh, sorry, Richard. It is Richard. Richard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking William and here. Will. <laughs> <laughs> Richard the title Williams. of the film, are we? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, he's he has these sayings to you know try to motivate the girls when they're playing, and one of the main ones he has is if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And mm. I remember hearing this. I don't know, maybe fifteen years ago when I was in Samoa, and one of the teachers had this uh, group. We were taking. A, cricket clinic uh, but she was getting everyone pumped for the class and she got all these young girls to say like if you fail to plan you plan to fail and it was just the most adorable thing that I've ever seen uh, so that's reminded me of this and then I was just trying to think of other things that um, people have said little sayings that have either irked me or motivated me uh, you know in my life and one thing my dad used to say all the time this wasn't to motivate this was for his own humor but as children we didn't understand what the hell he was saying mm. whenever we would walk in front of the television he would say you might be a pain but you're not made of glass <laughs> funny right mm. he he thought it was hilarious I've never heard that haven't you oh, that's so well good. we we had no idea what he was talking about we're just like that doesn't even rhyme it's not even funny it doesn't make sense what are you mm. talking Dead about stupid yeah. idiot um but he would say and then when my uncles were over he'd say that and they'd kind of laugh at they'd be like clever good one we're just like shut up dad it's not he didn't invent it no he didn't did he pretend that he did no, I don't know. He just liked that he got a laugh when yeah, he, okay, okay. if people hadn't heard it before. We heard it <laughs> a dozen times a day because we're constantly walking in front of the television, I think. Um, one thing that we always had in our house, uh, and once again, these are not motivating things. These are just things that we'd say in our house. Uh, when you're sitting and watching telly and if you got up to leave, you had to say spots back. Spots back? Spots back. Otherwise, someone could take your seat. Oh. So in one house. It's like we, shocker. In the car. In the car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, because in, in one of the houses, one or two of the houses, we had like a three-seater couch and so other people either sit on the floor, on the mat or whatever. So if you had prime position, mm. and it, got, it would be the point of literally my brother would go to get up to go to the bathroom before he had even got off the seat to say spots back, I or my younger brother would jump in behind mm. him, literally push him off the chair like, didn't say it. <laughs> He's like, I didn't get a chance. Bad luck, bad Aww. luck. And then you would just have to hold in the the need to go to the bathroom so that you could have that prime position. I wonder if brutal family, brutal big families like yours, uh, <laughs> have has an effect on um, epi, is it epigenetic bladder control or anything <laughs> like? The couch was completely soiled. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my older brother went through this phase of when, and he got this, he must have got this off a movie or something, um, but if someone would tell a story and it wasn't funny or there was just an anticlimax, he would say, and then I found $20. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, then know, I that found, one? Yeah, you know what? I only bucks. found out about this like a week ago. Oh, really? really? Yeah. Did you find 20 bucks? <laughs> I didn't know that that's how siblings or other people trolled crap stories. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know. And then, so you're sitting there, you thought you've told a good story mm. and then someone says to your face and then I found 20 bucks. And then everyone bursts out laughing yeah. in your face. Because, oh. because you're the punchline. <laughs> Awful. Because you didn't have a good end to your story. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love it. It was, and we would, 
God, we did that for years. God, we had fun. We laughed so much. Terrible stories galore. But uh, did people ever abuse it or is it always administered um, respectfully? Like no one would throw in the 20-buck punchline. Before over. Well, before you're done, yeah, or after a story that maybe was actually okay. No, it was always used respectfully. There were just a lot of terrible stories, (laughs) especially by my dad. We were just like all together. (laughs) All three on your place. (laughs) But then my mum came up with her own. She was, I think dad was telling a story and it was long-winded and wasn't funny and mum just interrupted the story and said, Amen. (laughs) 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 And she said, Amen. Story's finished. Oh, not funny. Oh my god! So then, that so, is so good. So we all—that's at what we say now. <laughs> this is like mum passed away a few years ago, but oh, she said amen probably fifteen years ago, and ever since. Oh, so once off. Well, now we all say it. She said it then and now we that's what we say if someone's got a crap story. Like you've been listening patiently to a long, boring prayer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, enough. Amen. <laughs> oh, how good. That is so brutal. It is so brutal. Do you remember what, how, how the person reacted? Dad. Yeah. Oh, It was Dad. He was telling a story and once he was just kind of rolled his eyes like, once again, I'm being interrupted <laughs> and we all just burst out laughing at it. But him. when you are a witness to a long, boring story that you want someone like that in the room, right, because you don't want to be the rude one to say, oh, get on with it. But you also like, this is so boring. Mum was always that person, so we never had to worry <laughs> if anyone was telling a story. But I know boring. people who would have no patience at all. Like sometimes the length of the story is a part of its charm. Like you have to yeah. have a bit of patience to hang in there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there are people in my life where you actually have to announce, I'll tell this fast or, mm. you know. Just they'll I, walk out on you. Yeah, yeah, because, they, you know, they're tapping their watch and. Yeah, and there's a way, to, like that's comical, right? There's a yeah. way to do it where you're like, I'm just, it's almost like the elephant in the room. Like this is a bit, this is a bit getting, getting long on the tooth. Ha ha, but seriously. But otherwise, if you're just rolling your eyes um, or like you're looking at your watch or. Mm. <sighs> like that is that is so much worse. It's yeah. always better to say amen. Yeah. But what about if you realise you're losing the crowd? Can you say that you, you yourself found twenty dollars? That has happened, and that is a good ending. Mm. That can, it doesn't happen often, but occasionally you own it you're and just go, it. you know, and then I found twenty bucks. <laughs> Let's move on. It is a good ending, I think. Yeah. Because sometimes when you're doubling down, you know, you think you can salvage a story. Mm. It's like I'm losing them. Mm. And so I'll double down and it's, it is the high risk, high reward thing where the doubling down makes it more boring or it's a miraculous save. Save, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, Norm Macdonald, comedian who passed away, was it this year, would, would do that. Some of his bits were like these long and they became comically long and boring that no matter what the end was going to be, it was funny because he just dragged it out like interminably. Yes. Like he's, mm. he's got a moth joke or whatever. So it was that thing of you're just like, where is this going? And then he gets to the end and you just, you're also like – grateful that it's over that you appreciate it mm. yeah what a great example now yeah he's there are edits of him telling a moth joke the same joke mm. that could go for 40 second edit <laughs> yeah, or right. like a four and a half minute edit <laughs> and it's the same joke and they have a different comedic sensibility yeah mm. but, but the, yeah the the charm of him is that yeah he's totally unhurried yeah um and then of course that time he found twenty dollars <laughs> Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or the Triple R website.